Before we start, a quick warning. This episode of The Front contains mention of child sexual assault. From the Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Thursday, November 16. The whole world is focused on a civilian catastrophe in the hospitals of Gaza as Israeli forces and Hamas battle for control. Israel says it's found evidence of Hamas terrorists using the hospitals to hide civilian hostages and military equipment. The federal government is scrambling to come up with new laws to deal with criminals released by a High Court decision, as lawyers for the freed people prepare to launch compensation claims. It's all about how we treat stateless offenders, including murderers and rapists, with nowhere else to go. In today's episode, a huge test of Labor's refugee policy, as the coalition censors panic. Somewhere in Australia today, a 30-year-old man is enjoying his first taste of freedom in more than five years. He's just got out of custody. He was there because he pleaded guilty to raping a 10-year-old boy. And his release has kicked off a political nightmare for the Albanese government because he's not alone. This is a government which is asleep at the wheel in keeping the Australian public safe. You have been caught out allowing these hardcore criminals to roam free, not doing your job. People with significant criminal records, having committed significant rapes and assaults and murders against Australian citizens, are being released into the community and you stand condemned. The legislation that's been thrown out by the High Court was coalition legislation. I didn't think that he could go this low There are at least 83 individuals, including at least three convicted murderers and several convicted sex offenders, the government has been forced to let out of jail because of a High Court decision. There's a whole gamut of offences covered by this cohort. Paul Garvey is a journalist with The Australian. We've certainly heard the examples of murderers and rapists and child abusers, domestic violence offenders, but... We've also heard examples of pretty low-level offences that have been brought into this. A lot of these cover drug possession charges, drug paraphernalia charges. So it's everything from what most people would consider pretty low-level offences right to the very high end. And certainly some of the refugee advocates I speak to say that their clients are quite upset about being painted as murderers and rapists when that represents a very small portion of the relevant cases. The common thread amongst all of these people is that they're in a position where the government wants them deported, but there's nowhere where they can actually go. So that's what was crucial in this central decision. They're effectively, in a sense, stateless. And so now it's about determining the point at which the government should have realised that they were never going to be able to actually deport these people. And that's when we'll start getting into the world of potential damages claims and so on and compensation, when the government should have known that these people were never going to get kicked out of the country and how much longer were they detained for from that point. Who would be raising compensation claims and what are they alleging? 
So the compensation claims were in fact flagged initially by the Solicitor General in the hearing that led to this outcome. He said that damages claims would be inevitable and undefendable in the event that the High Court arrived at the decision that it did. So really all these individuals, it seems, will have some sort of case to be made. The actual quantum of damages is really unknown at this point. One lawyer I was talking to today told me there's going to be a whole body of case law that will stem from this decision now as these claims get heard one after the other. In some instances, that's going to be a matter of days or weeks or months. In some, it's going to be several years. If the government should have known very early on that they were never actually going to get these people out of the country, that's when you're going to start seeing some pretty hefty damages potentially flowing from this. The man whose case triggered this decision is known as NZYQ because the court has suppressed his identity. NZYQ came to Australia by boat, arriving at Christmas Island in 2012, when he was about 16 years old. He claimed refugee status and spent nearly a year in immigration detention. He was granted a bridging visa in September 2014 because he's a member of the ethnic Rohingya minority in Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. Rohingya people have been persecuted for generations and are effectively stateless. They aren't allowed to have citizenship status and don't get passports. In January 2015, he was staying in Sydney with another Rohingya refugee family. One day, when he was 19 years old, the man raped his friend's son, a 10-year-old boy, in a bedroom while the child's father was in the kitchen preparing lunch. The New South Wales District Court found the father heard voices coming from the room, including the man saying, I'll give you money to do this. The father burst into the room and said, what are you doing to this little boy? You are an adult, what are you doing? He called the police, who arrested the man. Internal swabs from the child found the man's DNA. After he pleaded guilty, the man told the district court he had himself been raped by older boys and men when he was a child in Myanmar. He said he never told anyone about the attacks because he was ashamed and afraid of reprisals from the offenders and the police. He said when he had sex with a boy in Sydney, he didn't think it was a crime, and he claimed the boy had consented, and that he'd seen the boy previously having sex with another man. The judge did not buy this story, and found that the man knew it was illegal to have sex with a child, knew that the child was not consenting, and had lied to the court. A psychologist from the Department of Corrective Services assessed the offender as having a moderate to high risk of reoffending. The judge sentenced him to five years imprisonment, but with time served, he could be released on parole in 2018. The federal government cancelled his visa, and when his prison term for the rape expired, the government detained him under a policy that dated back to the Howard government. No other country wants to accept a child rapist as a refugee and the government did try to find him another home. In May 2022, the Rohingya man wrote to the Department of Immigration and requested that he be deported to another country. The High Court heard the Department of Immigration tried Bangladesh, Saudi Arabia, and all the nations in Australia's so-called Five Eyes Intelligence Network, which includes Canada, the United Kingdom, the United States, and New Zealand. 
Emails that were tendered to the court revealed the department first asked if, in theory, these countries would take as a refugee a stateless Rohingya man whose Australian visa had been cancelled. Initially, they didn't disclose that he was a child rapist. Some of the countries, including the US, indicated at first they might consider it, but when they found out what he'd done, it was a hard no. That led refugee and human rights activists to use this man's case as a test of Australia's mandatory detention regime, and they brought it all the way to the High Court. The government's lawyers said it was clear, and the plaintiff's lawyers agreed, that aliens, that is non-citizens, have no right to remain in Australia without a visa. The second part of the government argument was that non-citizens don't have a right to personal liberty in Australia. That means while Australian citizens do have a fundamental right to liberty, unless they're serving a legal sentence, that doesn't apply to so-called aliens, foreigners. This is the critical point. The plaintiff's lawyers said this idea was wrong, that every human being has the right to liberty in Australia, whether they're citizens or not. They argued the Howard government's Migration Act, which enables non-citizens to be detained, was not lawful in this case because the man is stateless and has nowhere else to go. It's a real test of our values, isn't it, Paul, in some ways, if we agree that Australia has an obligation under international law to offer refuge to people who don't have anywhere else to go and who are persecuted in their home countries. The question is, well, what if they're pedophiles? Or what if they're child rapists? How do you think Australia is going to grapple with that question? I think Australians generally don't have much sympathy for criminals, full stop. And one of the key issues here, I think, is just that this was effectively extrajudicial punishment, right? People all over Australia every day commit crimes. They're sentenced, they go to jail, they serve their time. And at that point, they're deemed to have served their debt to society and they should be free to, to go about their business. In the case of these individuals that court-mandated punishment was not deemed enough. They were then effectively further punished by getting thrown into detention indefinitely. So there's that moral question of whether we as Australians accept that sort of extrajudicial punishment is actually appropriate. And then on the, the question of taking in refugees, it stands to reason that these people will often have some pretty severe trauma in their personal lives, in their history, whether as children or adults, they would have generally seen pretty heinous occurrences. A lot of them would have had family killed in front of their own eyes. In the case of the Sudanese cohort, a lot of them were child soldiers and so on. So it really stands to reason that a lot of these people were at very high risk of winding up in these exact sort of criminal situations to begin with. Once they do, do we as a country try to wash our hands of them or do we except that that is now our burden to bear. Here's what the High Court's new Chief Justice, Stephen Gagler, said on November 8. We've used a voice actor to bring you the Chief Justice's words. It is declared that, by reason of there having been and continuing to be no real prospect of the removal of the plaintiff from Australia, becoming practicable in the reasonably foreseeable future, the plaintiff's continued detention is unlawful and has been since 30 May 2023. A writ of habeas corpus issue requiring the defendants to release the plaintiff forthwith. 
Habeas corpus is an ancient legal principle that's crucial to our system here in Australia. It's a Latin term that means something like, show me the body. What it means is that any prisoner, any body, who is detained should be brought before a court to decide whether the authorities have a lawful power to detain that person. In this case, the court found the government did not have the lawful power to detain him, and he was released. Coming up, the government's frantic bid to patch this legal gap. My name is Manny Karoudis, and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts. Immigration and refugee policy is a sore spot for Labor. The Rohingya man arrived in Australia in 2012, when Labor's Julia Gillard was Prime Minister and Australia was going through a surge of boat arrivals. Two new boat arrivals off northwest Australia have plunged the asylum seeker debate into a new round of political mudslinging. As the government and the opposition... He was locked up for the rape in 2015, when the coalition was in power, after Tony Abbott, Scott Morrison and Peter Dutton had overseen a huge crackdown on boat arrivals, known as Operation Sovereign Borders. The coalition paints Labor as incompetent at managing refugee flows. But Labor's under huge pressure from many of its own MPs and rank-and-file party members who believe Australia should be more generous to refugees. The issue basically got Tony Abbott elected in 2013, with a famous three-word slogan. The most compassionate thing you can do is stop the boats. That means nowadays Labor talks tough on refugees because it's terrified this issue will kill another government. Peter Dutton is sniffing weakness and he's in for the kill. The first responsibility for you, Prime Minister, is to be here and take care of the Australian public. Don't continue to abrogate your responsibilities. Immigration Minister Andrew Giles is trying to stick to his talking points. Complying with the orders of the High Court is not something that is optional. I say again that complying with the orders of the court is not an optional. And I say again, complying with the orders of the High Court is not optional. Earlier this week, subscribers to The Australian woke up to quite a startling picture taken by Paul Garvey of a man standing outside a suburban motel holding a picture of himself as a younger person. He had very broken English, but we managed to pick up some of the details about him, his name, his background, where he'd been previously. And then we went away and Googled him. His name is Aliyawa Yawari. He was originally from Afghanistan. He said the Taliban had killed his father and brother. He fled with his wife and children to Pakistan and eventually he wound up in Australia and was working at an abattoir in rural South Australia. During his time there, he committed a string of offences against elderly women who were living alone. He bashed them. He also indecently assaulted at least two of them. 
And that string of offending was enough for a district court to rule several years ago that he should be sent to jail for four years. And the judge at the time described him as a danger to the Australian community. He wants to get back to work, but a lot of people also then look at his story and the crimes he's committed and they're saying, well, how on earth is this person now free? And those fears are understandable, but the way the legal system works, prisoners are released each and every day across Australia and many of them have committed very serious offences. So it, it just shows the dilemma that the federal government is in here, right? They have to find a way to manage the situation, which has certainly been sprung upon them by the High Court, as they also keep the public comfortable and confident that they're not in any additional danger. Paul Garvey is a journalist with The Australian. Thanks for joining us on The Front. The best way to help us bring you this kind of journalism is to become a subscriber. Check us out at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman, her evil parents, we never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.